Remember, Scared for Your Life is opening uh, for submissions April 1st. You can check us out at filmfreeway.com slash scared for your L-I-I-F-E because we are a part of the Long Island International Film Expo. Tell your friends, submit your films, go out and make a film. Uh, we're open for submissions starting April 1st at filmfreeway.com slash scared for your L-I-I-F-E. Everything about Nightbooks was a labor of love, and in fact, wait till my dog's <laughs> done. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Welcome back to the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And I'm John. And the Hauntsville Cryptcast is rated PG-13. Fuck! <laughs> the Hauntsville Cryptcast is rated R. <laughs> I can't believe you... <laughs> this feels much more freeing now. Yeah. There, <laughs> I, I used to tell a joke about exactly that when because uh, I, I did stand up at a Sweet 16 once, and I did that exact bit. Where I got up to the mic and I was like, what's the level of swearing I'm allowed to be at? And they were like, PG-13. And I went, fuck. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> you get one. Everybody gets one. Right. And that, one. Was, that was it. So we can't say any more. No more expletives. Right. It's one non-sexual use of the word fuck, which we're, we're <laughs> over oh. now. No, we're rated R. Yeah. True. Oh, wait. We're rated R. We could do more. So we're not PG-13 anymore. Yeah, we're cool. <laughs> Neither of these ratings exist in the UK, so I'm just gonna go whatever you guys tell me I can say. What do you have? Peggy Peggy eighteen? Or is that Australia no. for video games? <laughs> we just have PG or we have twelve. <laughs> PG and twelve. Otherwise okay, there are no rules. Is it that? is it twelve plus or twelve exactly? No, just like twelve. <laughs> but like they don't they don't ID you for anything. You're not allowed to watch movies in the UK after twelve. Um I went to a twelve when I was like nine, I think. And just walked around it. But to be fair, like, that was the 90s. No one really cared. It's probably a bit more difficult so now. So edgy walking into Shrek unsupervised. It was the water boy. <laughs> wow. What, a, what an and awesome And I went pick. with my family. The water boy. Oh, man. <laughs> it's me, Wobito, your father. <laughs> uh, for today's episode, we're going to jump right into it. We want to talk about gateway horror. And I wanna, Not necessarily. Yeah, are we talking about... Uh, the movie The Gateway from 2015? No, because I haven't seen it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. If you guys came in ready to talk about that, like I'll step back. I'm fully Go on underprepared me. then. <laughs> I will talk about it maybe later, but we'll see. No, I want to talk about those things that are not necessarily horror movies, but spooky, scary, geared toward kids. Like when you're younger, you start watching them and like you realize, okay, horror doesn't have to be scary and you can get into it at an early age. Yeah, you realize when you start doing the real deep dive as an adult, going back to the gateway horror, how you're able to utilize a, a lot more tension building and just the writing itself and how you're able to get across the scares in that way, as opposed to now when you're older and you're watching horror and, you know, you get into slashers and stuff and it's all blood and guts and boobs. And then, you know, when you're younger, it's like, OK, it's goosebumps and it's trolls it's things that seem unassuming it's a uh, a comic book clown that comes to life i love that stuff that's one of the biggest things that i love about gateway horror and honestly i kind of love it more than 
like straight up horror that is geared toward me and my age group to begin with, I feel like there's a lot more care and attention put into anything that's geared toward kids. Like the story matters, the characters matter. There's all these elements where your character has to be relatable to the kids that are watching it and be sort of a role model to them. Uh, More often than not, in gateway horror, the consequences aren't like the slashers. It's not gore. It's not blood. There's some element of truth at risk here. It's the fear of growing up and you know becoming uh, an adult and losing all those things that make life magical and exciting and curious. When done right and done with care, it really helps to highlight that. You know, there are definitely times, and we'll get into it, where writers and directors it's like they're talking down to the kids because this is now horror for kids or gateway horror and you can't treat kids like they're stupid you see that a lot more with more modern gateway horror and i think back when we were growing up it was kind of like okay we're not going to have slashers running around but it's going to be more of a morality tale it's going to be the main character learning a lesson that was one of my biggest pet peeves running the theater like i ran a children's theater so a lot of times you get content that is really it's dumbed down it doesn't treat the kids like they are growing and learning and people and horror for being the most socially conscious genre uh even for kids it maintains that it doesn't talk down to them so what was everybody's first gateway horror mine was probably scooby-doo because it came on and it was literally just a cartoon it was a loop of people running in a hallway (laughs) But at the end of each episode, you got to learn, oh, you know, it's just Mr. Jenkins being a douche. (laughs) It's always Mr. Jenkins. I swear no one else lived there apart from Mr. Jenkins. (laughs) Mr. Jenkins and Mr. Jones. But I think that was like the, the coolest way to just be eased into it because you got the element of these scary monsters, which, you know, I enjoyed the universal stuff, but I wasn't quite there yet. But I felt like I was getting exposed to it. And then you had things like Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. I loved that movie. I watched that any time it would come on Cartoon Network. Ooh, Red Shirt Shaggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the forbidden <laughs> alternate timeline. I, I can't really point it down to just one movie, to be honest. I was incredibly privileged when I was a kid when it came to spooky stuff. I already have three older brothers, and two of them in particular were really into their spooky stuff already. Um, and there's a six year age gap. So everything they were allowed to watch, I was somehow also allowed to watch. Um, <laughs> and so I started off, I can't remember what the first things were, but I had Scooby-Doo and things like that. But I also had a lot of wrestling, which I think is really filled with horror, whether people realize or not, it, there is some spooky people in there. Yeah, I mean, Sting is just the crow. Yeah. The Undertaker <laughs> is the Undertaker. Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, Sting is the crow. You've got Mankind, who is this deranged lunatic, which, you know, isn't the best stereotype, but it was the 90s. Um, <laughs> and then you had, like, the Undertaker, who is the Undertaker. You had Kane, who was his spooky brother from hell. I didn't know that. I've exhausted the extent of my wrestling knowledge, though. I didn't even know Roddy Piper was a wrestler until you told me when we were watching They Live. <laughs> yeah, Roddy Piper. I mean, Roddy Which Piper makes so much sense now. All the links to horror films. I mean, the first time I ever watched They Live was because Roddy Piper was in it, and I didn't even know who John Carpenter was um, at that point. And then, like, you had wrestlers like Vampira and Gangrel and, like, 
there was just so many of them that had spooky like personas so that felt really normal for me and like when my dad would take us to bed after watching wrestling then he used to be the overtaker and he would just chase us up to bed just being like i am the overtaker so uh that is great (laughs) but yeah everything that i played with everything i watched i look back now and everything i did was just completely drenched in horror and spooky as a kid i'll get into more of them later but the list is just insane and uk especially has the spookiest kids shows in the world and i did not realize I, that no. until now yeah <laughs> i've shown you a few of them and it's like oh okay that's horrifying <laughs> i definitely think there's something to be said about wrestling because like i don't know when we were growing up everybody was into wrestling you're 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 a boy in the sixth grade you're into wrestling like everybody i knew was into it so like you're exposed to that you're exposed to these characters and you're also exposed to this very staged dramatic faux violence and like everybody you know sixth seventh grade you start to learn like okay this is wrestling's fake but i'm here for it it's not fake it's choreographed court yeah choreographed It's it's a it's a performance more than anything. You're you're exposed to that. You're exposed to this level of false violence and that kind of helps you grow up into the horror genre being like, okay, like, you know, this is fake. This is a performance. And it eases you into that idea of like you don't need to be afraid of it, but that curiosity starts to peak and you're like, okay, the Undertaker is spooky and I like what he does in the ring. How does that translate? Or more specifically, you get into Kane and then you watch the movies with Kane. Yeah, I mean, whenever I saw, I didn't understand why people thought people with chainsaws in movies were scary because in my head I was like, oh, it's just Terry Funk being Chainsaw Charlie. And <laughs> that just eased my mind when I first saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like, oh, this is what inspired Terry Funk. And, you know, there's been lots of characters that are literally just based off people in horror movies. There's uh, so many that are said that their inspiration was American Psycho, which isn't the best thing to be based also on. Also, but... weird choice for wrestling. I know, right? I think they were just kind of lost for influences, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just the whole world of wrestling is completely drenched in it. And like you said, you learn really quickly that it's staged. And like obviously my parents pointed that out very quickly to us, like, this is staged. No one's getting actually hurt. They were completely getting hurt. I saw Lone Heart die alive on TV. That was horrifying. Childhood trauma, yay. Um, <laughs> we're going to need to unpack that on another episode. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, was, that was an accident, but that was absolutely horrific. That was very sad. Yeah. Because I knew that was fake, obviously, I did carry that into whenever I was watching spooky movies. I also had a habit, if I was scared by a movie, of memorizing the credits so that I could remind myself that there were people behind all those things. I would particularly memorize people who are creature actors and things like that so i could be like nope it was just this person there's no one behind it and that's what got me into this cycle of memorizing everything about movies which has been very useful as an adult (laughs) it's awesome that you were able to like give yourself that out of saying oh like i can watch the most terrifying monster as long as i know who it is and now that's your way of connecting with that monster on a deeper level because you know the person behind them and like, like how it, many how many movies do you watch and you see like okay Doug Jones or Javier Botet <laughs> yeah Everyone. and then Every when movie. you start getting access to like behind <laughs> the scenes or like how they made the creature and stuff then it just made it 
all the better because I was like, oh, yeah, extra reassurance, yeah, yeah, yeah. but also learning. That's a, it's such a disservice. And I was just talking about this recently that some streaming services now cut off before you get through the credits. They will yeah. suggest. Oh, yeah. Netflix is a huge proprietor of that. You get 10 seconds of credits before they switch you on to something totally yeah, something unrelated. totally unrelated. And then if you try to go back, if you back out and try to get back to the credits, the only option is to resume the movie from the beginning. So Netflix, come on now. We're, we're better than this. <laughs> For real. Credit where credit is due. Come on. We're already dragging the Oscars. We'll drag Netflix. Too. I had that problem recently watching Nightbooks and... I really wanted to see what team was behind the effects in that movie because, oh my God, the creature design and just the effects work in that movie was phenomenal. And I the credits cut off before it got there. You know, it turns out that it was K&B and I read and I had to go searching out, you know, who was the makeup uh, artist on this movie in order to, to kind of give credit where credit's due and like find out who this is. And it was, they did a great job with that movie. Yeah, everything about Nightbooks was a labor of love, and that's kind of what sparked us doing this episode, because you get the protagonist, Alex, who is this elementary school-aged kid who loves horror and spooky and is a horror writer, and he is kidnapped by this witch who basically is a gatekeeper. She's the older horror enthusiast who makes him feel like his writing isn't good enough, but also gives him a reason to keep writing. She gives him these questions that make him think, okay, like maybe I don't know enough about the genre to write it. And he has that moment of doubt, but it only makes him better. And it shows just how much he does know and that you don't have to know everything to get into the genre. It's curiosity and exploration that brings you here. And then you stick around for the parts that you do like. Yeah, Alex is, it's basically me as a child. And like, it freaked me out to a certain degree because I was like oh Anthony this is our child and then I was like wait no this is just me <laughs> as a child <laughs> everything about Nightbooks was perfection there is not a single thing that I could put down in that film and to the point where I'm getting a Nightbooks tattoo now because there was just one line that made me <laughs> cry and I was like I need that on my body forever oh my god even Alex's speech at the end first of all everybody does a phenomenal job performance wise in that movie but I watched it three times, back to back to back in the same three days, and his speech at the end with uh, the birthday party uh, brings me to tears every time. Yeah, you could really see, like you said, the labor of love that that movie was, how much care was put into it, how, again, they weren't talking down to the audience. The intended audience is children. But here we are watching it because we can see, oh my God, they actually put effort into this they took the time to write a story that you can relate to and that you can see yourself in as an adult and as a child watching it i can imagine that you know that rings even more true it's also hard to like sit and watch it and listen to Kristen ritter pick apart this poor kid's story (laughs) and be like oh like we've all had those moments we've we've had the gatekeeper moments i mean i know (laughs) i definitely have it it makes you kind of reflect on that and think like oh like i could be better and could be doing more to help people into the genre instead of like picking it right, apart picking it apart and picking apart where they are in their development as a horror fan or horror enthusiast i do think that this film is like so important for kids because if i'd had this movie as a kid 
it would have changed a whole lot of my perspective on going through a lot of the things that Alex is going through apart from the whole witch thing, you know. But like the <laughs> no one turning up to his birthday party, everyone calling him a creep and a weirdo and things like that, like that is 100% relatable for that age for me. So I think having other kids being able to have that as like a film to showcase like hey it's cool you don't need to do anything it's all good like stay weird like yeah stay stay so yourself important. and you'll eventually find your people yeah <laughs> i had it real easy when i was little i mean one moonless halloween night my mama gave a nickel to a swamp witch and i was born <laughs> uh so having a, a halloween birthday it you kind of you comes to the territory everything is pumpkins and spooky now i say that but I was scared of everything as a kid, <laughs> like everything. It didn't take much to set me off. I was telling Anna the other day, the earliest Halloween party that I remember, I was maybe only a couple years old. It was clearly a, a party for my parents, friends and whatever. But the host had this talking jack-o'-lantern and I vividly remember it and how much it terrified <laughs> me. So now I look out for that jack-o'-lantern. I want to find him. <laughs> I think Halloween is is one of the biggest gateways that there is because it's the first time that, you know, you tell kids spooky doesn't have to be scary. Like we talked about it in our Halloween episode. You probably end up dressing up as Jason Voorhees before you know who Jason Voorhees is. So that curiosity exists. You start to look back on and think, oh, like, you know, why do we dress up as skeletons? What is the significance of a ghost? Why do we trick or treat? It's the curiosity and the question asking that takes you that much further. As far as like my gateway, man, I keep wanting to come back to Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh man. <laughs> I that movie, it's a comedy, but it's terrifying. And like that's all the more reason I'm watching that at such a young age and I am terrified of everything. The trolls in that were also the they reused the molds from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Right? Killer Clowns yeah. from Outer Space. Yeah, it's the Chiodos brothers. And then if you find that out as a kid, <laughs> I don't know that you would as a child and be like, oh, all right, right that's the no. Chiodos brothers work. I can recognize the molds. <laughs> but if you have an older sibling, maybe, right? <laughs> what about you, Dills? What drag do you hear? Dude, I, I never had like a gateway moment. It was never a, a question of it being a transition. It was opening the floodgates and then I was done. Uh, starts with Large Marge from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That was the scariest thing Holy I had ever seen shit. in my life up until that moment and the scariest <laughs> thing I've ever seen since. That is imprinted in my brain. Yeah. It ruined me for life. I still cringe when I see that that part of that movie. <laughs> Tell them Large Marge. Exactly. And my dad you. used to do an impression of that and it <laughs> fucking ruined me. Uh, and right around that time, we got a... Sega Sega Genesis maybe and whatever won the first Resident Evil game was on in oh 1996 and I watched my dad play it and I had I had nightmares for weeks after that and it was just like I was getting hit with the one two punch because I it was all <laughs> like within that same time period that I was absorbing this stuff and uh, then to sort of soften the blow a little bit he took me into the city to see a screening of the creature from the Black Lagoon. And we got there and it was sold out. We couldn't get tickets. So we went to the video store and we rented it and we watched it at home. And that is that is where I started. And I was absolutely fascinated with the creature and still am. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. He is my favorite 
like sort of creature design designed by a woman so all those hard scares from watching resident evil and with the large marge thing coupled with something that is uh, almost a piece of art in comparison the creature from the black lagoon i developed an appreciation for the macabre and i wanted to like search out that feeling again because i was like i'm not gonna be scared forever and i'm gonna <laughs> harness it and make it my superpower and i never did and i'm still afraid of everything <laughs> but but i i love i love the rush and then from that point on it was i want to absorb every piece of media that i can and that became a tradition where i every year was obsessed with watching the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror specials. And the first one that I remember, it must have been a rerun or something because it's the the one where Flan- uh, no, not Flanders, Mr. Burns is Dracula and they're parroting Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that episode came out in like 93. So I don't know if that's like a three-year-old memory that I have or like <laughs> I, and maybe that's the oldest one. But like every year I would watch those and it would parody movies. And my dad, I remember my dad explaining to me like, oh, you, you know what they're, they're doing there? That's like this. And we would sit and I get to do the parallels and I would go and watch those movies that those segments were based off of. And that is where my personality formed, where I was like, parody is how we'll get into this stuff. And that's how I'll, I'll deal with it. And I just took it with me forever. It's awesome that you came at it from that that entry point of of parody kind of softening the blow yeah out of necessity (laughs) (laughs) i do think that i was just gonna say like i do think halloween specials are really important especially because most of them are parodies of something else for getting kids curious as to where they've come from or just to for kids to get like a little taste of horror in amongst something really normal like there's been some really amazing halloween specials in just very normal tv shows that as a kid i just latched onto like the boy meets world one yeah was yeah holy shit the best <laughs> halloween special in the world they're just genuinely yeah. terrifying i just watched it again so last year well. <laughs> oh my god I mean, the quintessential Halloween episode of every TV series is probably a lot of people's spooksual awakening. (laughs) Like, you get this chance for the show that you've already been watching, you've already been invested in, it's got characters you like, and then something goes dark, and then the risks get a little bit higher, and there's something supernatural or something wrong in a universe you've already come to know, which, like... For any TV series that does that, kind of prepares kids and it's like, yeah, like, you know, there's more to this world than just fun and funny. And, you know, it prepares you for these real things that you have to consider. You just awakened a memory of the Halloween episode for Growing Pains, I think it was, where (laughs) what's his name comes back in and they get invaded by aliens. Anthony... I know how you feel about aliens. You know I feel the same. And it ruined me. Yeah, I was me. scared of everything when I was little. Now it's just <laughs> aliens. Yeah, but that was like, you know, Growing Pains, a super unassuming show. You're watching it and suddenly, oh, now it's the Halloween episode. And you've got to deal with aliens and just the light. And it looked like Unsolved Mysteries. And it ruined me. Actually, <laughs> also, why were my parents letting me watch Unsolved Mysteries as a child? That's why I'm so afraid <laughs> of aliens. That's what did it to me. Unsolved Mysteries and Are You Afraid of the Dark were, well, one of them was not a kid's show. The other one was a terrifying 
Trap disguised as yeah, a kid's show. Go ahead. Show. Call Are You Afraid of the Dark a kid's show. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, it was not. The intro would come on and I would doll, turn it off. The doll, the lake, the swing, everything I about it. I that Terrifying. intro. That used to, like, comfort me. As, okay, I was definitely a weird child. You're, but that you're used different. That was so comforting <laughs> to me when I was a kid. Like, that show would come on and I'd just go, oh, it's nearly bedtime and I'm having my dinner and, like, I don't know what time it came on there, but it was always, like, around <laughs> dinner time here. And I don't know, it just it used to make me feel really happy. I could just snuggle down and get in my pajamas. What and... the hell? <laughs> and it is the intros. person those memes are about. It's like, <laughs> I mean, a girl it... says that this is her comfort movie and it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, right. that's the perfect uh, rainy, that's day, a rainy movie. day movie. Yeah, thank you. No, but I, I was a very special child. For this episode, I had to think of, I had to try and differentiate between what I watched as a kid that was meant for a kid and what was. I watched as a kid that was not meant for me. Yo, same. What's up with our fucking parents, man? <laughs> Just letting us run wild. I mean, a lot of it had to do with having we... older brothers in my house, but I think like, I, yeah, they they were just winging it with me. They were like, oh, "Let's see what happens." <laughs> no, like we grew up at a really interesting time for this because, I mean, the rating system, like does you mentioned, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, straight up a horror movie. Great. The Universal movies are all rated PG because we didn't get a PG-13 rating until 1984 and then nothing came with a warning label until 1990. So, like, our parents didn't know what we were watching. They didn't know what they were letting us watch. The rating system didn't exist. Everything was just parental guidance, so it was viewer discretion. So, like, that's kind of why, like, I think you all got away with The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to what? watch The Simpsons. Neither um, was I. My parents what the hell? Like, my parents are like, oh, why are you watching that <laughs> stupid show? But yet my dad would be like, oh, have I ever told you about this movie called Return of the Living Dead? Hold on. Let me put it on for you. <laughs> I watched Return of the Living Dead repeatedly as a kid. That and Brain Dead. Me and my brothers would watch it all the time and we would just find it the funniest thing ever. And... <laughs> Then my brother was like, oh, hey, if you like this and you're only eight, but we should watch The Exorcist. And my parents were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so I ended <laughs> up watching literally the scariest movie of all time that gets scarier as I get older when I was eight. And I wasn't scared of it then. I'm more scared of The Exorcist now that I know what it's about. But when I was younger, obviously, I was like, ha, her head turns around. That's funny. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, crap. There's a demon stalking this priest from the start. <laughs> But also the rating systems, as I said before, are really different in the UK than they are in the US. So we have U, which is the equivalent to a G. Then we have PG. Then we have 12, which I think is the equivalent of a PG-13. Yeah, you guys get to watch PG-13 a year yeah. before us. Uh, then we have 15, and then we have 18. We just, we just shoot straight from PG-13 to <laughs> yeah, that's R. Weird. But like, oh. Which is... 17, 17. 18? I know I needed to show ID for my first rated R movie in a movie theater. You probably still do. <laughs> this is where my props come into play. Of course, I have props for a, a podcast. Um, but I Explain just, the props. I just decided to take one of each rating off of my DVD shelf. So Never Ending Story is a U or a G, which I find insane because that's traumatizing. <laughs> then Death Becomes Her is PG, which... I also think it's not wildly appropriate for kids. <laughs> See, the Universal movies are twelves here. Yeah, but is that an updated rating copy? Yeah, it's probably copy? an updated rating because like, they wouldn't have had them originally, obviously. Um, yeah, Trick or Treat is a fifteen. Like it's it's the whole reason Beetlejuice can say the fuck word. That makes sense. 
Yeah, Trick or Treat's a 15, and Evil Dead 2 is 18. So that's, that's the spectrum that we're working on here. But, like, I wouldn't even say that, like, I, I don't know how Trick or Treat isn't the same rating as Evil Dead. Wait, isn't Evil Dead PG-13 here? Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that, uh, what did you say okay. it was, a 15? No, it's an 18. 18. An 18? That seems kind of yeah. harsh for Evil Dead. <laughs> I mean, might, it's got it a, it's got a booby in it, and they can say fuck, but... Yeah. yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's the thing where the 90s comes into play, though, because even though we got the rating system in 84, it was so loose. Everyone was just playing with what they could get away with up until that point where the 90s, they actually had to list why something was rated. They actually had to develop guidelines where it was like, oh, OK, strong language can exist in both PG-13 and R. Um, but you can say, uh, kind of like you mentioned before, it was like, the the limitations of how many times and in what context you could say fuck or like how much blood you can show before something is jumps from PG-13 to R, which is probably kind of the same for you there, Anna, and why Evil Dead is R. It's the amount of blood. It's why they chose to go with white instead of red in the first one. That makes sense. I was just thinking as and well, then like... the new one is just black goopy blood. <laughs> I was just thinking as well, like with us all being lucky to have been around in and grown up in the 90s predominantly, um, you get experiences like going to the video store like Blockbuster and stuff on a Friday night and your parents are the one who's put it through and if they're anything like my parents, they won't check the rating. Um, so you just went around the whole of this big aisle of movies and you just got to be like, oh, that cover looks really scary. I'm going to choose that one. Yeah, the movie store experience of judging a book by its cover. Yeah. <laughs> most of the films I love now, or like the more obscure stuff that I like, comes from just going to Blockbuster and being like, oh, that cover looks cool. I'm going to rent that. So I think that's a really important moment of especially 90s kids' progression into horror, is just how good the horror aisle looked compared to every other aisle <laughs> i mean we also got the anthology series like everybody before us no, i say everybody but like from the start of twilight zone as one of the first spooky-esque anthology series that was kind of it there weren't a ton of anthology series you got the occasional anthology movie every now and then but in the 90s we got goosebumps we got are you afraid of the dark uh, we got Tales from the Crypt. We got Tales from the Crypt Keeper. We were just, we had options and they were just on TV at all different hours of the day. You could jump from Goosebumps to Are You Afraid of the Dark to Tales to, from the Crypt. Yeah, I mean, you had to take your pick on Saturday morning. <laughs> With the new Goosebumps being announced, I saw a pretty mixed reaction. There were some people that were super, super excited and then other people who are just seem to be vehemently against it. Like, don't touch my childhood. You're going to ruin it. You're going to, oh, God. you know, and in, in my like, in my opinion, when you go back and you watch Goosebumps now, it's the nostalgia that kicks it up a couple points. The The acting isn't all that great. The production is not all that great, you know, you but you get really cool looking monsters. You get a really great story. Thankfully, R.L. Stein, our, our Lord and Savior, do you have a moment to talk about him, it was able to lay that groundwork for the show so that it made it simple to write, to have something um, that had that morality tale to it. Yeah, the, the new movies are, movies are, are fantastic. Great. Yeah. So that should be proof alone. I don't know if it's people saying, oh, 
it's Disney Plus that's putting out the new Goosebumps, so maybe that's their aversion to it. How can you not get excited that we're going to be getting a new Goosebumps? Yeah, the last two movies were great. Like You're creating it for a new generation. Right, it's a little gatekeepy. Like, it, yeah. it's it, it may not be for you if they're gearing it towards the younger generation let it let it be that yeah it, if you don't like it on, don't watch it and don't support ex- it. exactly and there's um have you guys seen like uh just so beyond no that's where i kind of get a little bit of the aversion so and what's your problem with just beyond so first of all the aliens that's a different story <laughs> well, yeah there but there are a lot of really good episodes in just beyond i will give it that i i did enjoy it for the most part but I do think that there is this disnifying that has taken place between something like Goosebumps and something like Just Beyond. I feel like Just Beyond, even though it is the sci-fi R.L. Stein anthology, whereas Goosebumps is meant to be the horror, the consequences are just so much lower than a Goosebumps, than the new Goosebumps, than something like Creeped Out, something like some of these other... Uh, anthology series that the younger generation is getting they are getting exposure to this stuff i can't actually remember anything about just beyond i literally said oh we didn't watch just beyond and anthony was like i literally sat and watched the whole thing with you and i don't (laughs) i don't remember a single thing about it which is it's not great the first episode is my favorite of those though i haven't seen the show but i would imagine it's it's is it just that the stakes are that much lower are they kind it didn't of feel to go like there? an R.L. Stein mm. story to me. I mean, I I adore R.L. Stein. I just I don't understand how he's human because of the amount that he churns out. Because <laughs> um, I have like a full collection of Goosebumps, Point Horror, which uh, is the equi- the UK equivalent to uh, Fear Street which I only just figured out when Fear Street arrived, and I was like, "Huh, I've not read any of these." And then I was like, "Oh." It's point horror here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love everything that he does, but I felt like Just Beyond didn't feel like it had that... I don't know, it, it didn't have that nostalgic quality that you feel even if you haven't grown up with a particular R.L. Stein story. You hear it for the first time as an adult and you still go, oh, this reminds me of being a child. Not to say that it's not meant to, you know, stoke a, a nostalgic like feeling but it's uh i i'm familiar with the the graphic novel that they're based off of and this was an awesome interpretation of that and uh it's i guess it it maybe sort of plays to my interest a little bit more because it's like uh horror comedy and it's got that like rl stein cheese to it that i really appreciate and like that is where I guess like the, the the nostalgia fuel sort of ends, but like I think this is like a, a great what what's the word we've been using for <laughs> gateway <laughs> gateway I, I keep wanting to say gatekeep <laughs> it's it's a really girl boss uh, I guess like gaslight <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a really good gateway, uh, especially having the accessibility of it being on Disney Plus because I don't know a soul in the world right now that isn't watching something on Disney plus or that doesn't have a friend that has Disney plus and having this be blasted out there. I think, I think is great for stuff like this. Yeah. Disney plus has a lot of good spooky stuff. Like all the Halloween towns are on there. They've got one called Mr. Boogity, which I'd never watched from the eighties that I love. 
I saw that John Aston was in it, and I was like, I have to watch this. Sean um, Aston? John Aston. Who's that? Oh, Go no Mez. way. <laughs> there, wait, no, fuck. I'm, I can't believe I'm just realizing this now for the first time. John Aston is John Aston's son. Yep. But they didn't find that out until, like, not that long ago. So that's oh, fun. okay. So I get a pass yeah, on this one, right? Pass, <laughs> All right. Yeah, you're only <laughs> you finding out me. slightly after he did. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's dial it back a little bit. But like John Aston is in so many good spooky kids things. I'm gonna come back to that because I want to stay on Disney for the moment. But what else have they got on Disney? They've got um. They just got the new Under Wraps movie. Oh yeah, they've got the new Under Wraps. Oh, the original Under Wraps is such a treasure, though. No, it's not. <laughs> no, the original. You don't like the original Under Wraps? You're the one who showed I me Under Wraps. So... It's my uncle. Yeah. He's as big as a Buick. <laughs> on the on the day that we got so mummied out, I will not watch another mummy. But that was movie all one good Brendan mummy Fraser's movie, apart from you know the, the real mummy movie with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Brendan Fraser. <laughs> um, the Fraser with Brendan Mummy. I liked Under Wraps, but I did watch it like two years ago um yeah but i thought that was fun um and all the halloween towns are amazing i used to watch those religiously it's it's patrick star playing a mummy yeah bill how can we not love it (laughs) is that how you say his name i think i'm making this up (laughs) (laughs) but also the new mickey mouse cartoon the uh like halloween spooktacular beautifully animated yeah all of the new mickey stuff is so beautifully animated it's insane if there were ever an iteration of mickey mouse that could say fuck it's this one (laughs) yeah he's like could say fuck chooses not to eerily innocent but you're like to the point where like yeah he's definitely gonna say fuck in a minute it sort of like evokes like the the those classic where uh like the black and white like betty boop era cartoons where like all the imagery was like fucking fluey, like fluid skeletons and stuff, and like uh, oh, there's like boogity boo ghosts and everything. And that was like, I feel like I maybe just because I'm into horror, that's the stuff that like stuck out to me. But I feel like it was like every other episode there was there was like a dancing skeleton or there was like a ghost thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean Walt Disney was renowned for knowing for like being obsessed with spooky stuff that's exactly why he wanted like the haunted mansion ride but yeah he definitely loved spooky stuff and you can totally tell but like the new mickey mouse they just do straight up parodies of like dracula and frankenstein um van helsing yeah van helsing (laughs) oh my god um but their parody of frankenstein just like i've watched it about seven times now it's insane um it's very short um but their Frankenstein cracks me up every time. Like I can't deal with it. Everyone should watch that. And it's Disney Plus also has Ghost and Molly McGee. Oh, I love the Ghost and Molly McGee. Oh wow, my god, that unlocked a memory. Oh, it's I shit. don't know this. It's so good. It's I don't know how to describe it. This is just this girl that moves into this haunted house, and it's this ghost's job to scare her because like ghosts are basically just they kind of what do they they get like points or like yeah you like have to accrue a certain number of spooky points for the ghost council (laughs) but this girl's just like yay ghost friend and he's like no be scared of me and she's like yay friend 
<laughs> and the ghost is voiced by the voice actor who did Master Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh God! Which just Dana is so perfect. And um, and Molly McGee is Ashley Birch, who is the voice of everything that I love. Hey Ash, what you playing? <laughs> from forever ago. Yeah, Disney's been great about that. Even you know, coming back to Hocus Pocus and yeah, Hocus Pocus, they're the quintessential horror witches. Like they're out to eat kids, and Disney doesn't try and disguise it. Yeah, I got to learn what a virgin was. <laughs> yeah, and on that exact same note, is also the reason why most people got horny for Doug Jones real quick. <laughs> but he did. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Speaking of uh, Hoax Pokes, the guy that plays the, what's his name, Max in Hocus Pocus, Omri Katz, I had to write his name down because I'm not going to remember Omri. <laughs> um, oh boy. He's in a lot of my favorite kids' gateway horror. He's also the main character in Matinee, uh, which is a Joe Dante oh, film wow. that is about William Castle, but it's it's totally a kids' film. Um and it's just kind of like the joy of going to see a spooky movie. John Goodman plays like the William Castle director. Oh um, and he's like putting booby traps all over the like theater to try and make it like the William Castle experience. I still want to do that that castle castle. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that castle episode. Yeah, definitely. Because There's he's, he's so interesting, and I don't, I don't know about this movie. Yeah, Matinee is amazing. Oh, you're gonna love it. Oh um, my god, Anna just showed it to me recently. Yeah, I, I'm obsessed with Joe Dante, but also like obsessed with William Castle. So those two worlds combined into a kids movie is so perfect. Omri Katz is also the main character in Erie, Indiana, which was one of my favorite shows growing up, and it's amazing how many people I meet who had no idea about this show. Um. It, yeah, it, I only watched my first episode with you yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think Omri Katz might have been your spooktual awakening now that you're listing all these points. <laughs> mm, no, that's probably David Bowie as the Goblin King. <laughs> um, or Atreyu from NeverEnding Story. Anyway. Um, I forgot that Atreyu was not Falcor for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been quite terrifying. Oh, boy. <laughs> Eerie Indiana is such an underrated show and Joe Dante is such an underrated director um, like literally so many films that everyone in the world seems to love come from Joe Dante like Gremlins, The Howling, Small Soldiers Matinee, The Burbs Twilight Zone movie, Piranha Rock and Roll High School like there is someone who loves Rock and Roll High School. I love Rock and Roll High School, man. <laughs> that movie sucks. <laughs> no, it's the best. Sonia Quigley's oh. in it. Leave it alone. Yeah, but why? Why would you put the Ramones in a movie? Because they're in high school. They were clearly high school act. students. <laughs> oh my god! Just a bunch of fucking dickheads that hate <laughs> each other. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> they didn't all hate each other. They all hated Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. But, man, wow. Well, uh, the only thing better than Rock and Roll High School is the Kiss uh, Halloween special where they're in, like, the theme park. Oh, And yeah. all of yeah. Ace's lines are overdubbed. Oh, my yes. God. I love that. I completely forgot about that. Kiss is, like, oddly associated with uh, a lot of, like, horror stuff. Like, I don't see, like, the overlap between, I guess, like, them and, like, their music and the horror community. But, like, 
I, I'm pretty sure they meet Scooby Doo and the gang. Yeah. Yes, multiple they times. Yeah, he like meets a, everyone. A couple to be times. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Batman. Well, they has a whole WWE line of Scooby Doo movies. Yeah. With John, John Cena. Cena! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Kiss is spookier than I give them credit for. Or maybe that's just Gene Simmons trying to capitalize on any opportunity possible on literally there. anything yeah that's a, that's another podcast there <laughs> oh yeah i would like to bring the misfits to the table on that one <laughs> you oh i don't want to talk about the misfits no more no maybe like two years ago but not anymore <laughs> <laughs> i mean even on the note of never-ending story which is you know a kid's movie with all these horrifying elements there's just a lot of that in general in kids' movies. If you take something like Coraline, which is, it's just Alice in Wonderland for spooky kids. <laughs> yeah, seriously. They managed to just make something where it's you're, you're confused and frightened at the same time uh, with the other mother. Cause she's why just they a make giant, her big old spider? Why is she? She can totally get it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, say it, say it. <laughs> Does is like smash. <laughs> yeah, like if she if she walked up to me and was like, "You got to sew these buttons on your eyes." The next words out of my mouth would be, "Yes, mommy." <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, the colors in that movie, the animation, the stop yes. motion. Um, I I love that we have a bunch of these stop motion kind of gateway horror. Yeah, movies. what a fucking awesome era for that. Like, uh. There's Coraline, there's Paranorman, Box Trolls was fucking awesome. It's not exactly horror, but it's got, you know, creature elements to mm-hmm. it. Love a good creature. Paranorman. Did I say I... No, you didn't. I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> but Paranorman, I for some... James and the Giant Peach? Oh, James and the Giant's Peach uh, terrified me. That, that uh, movie is fucking scary. in the sky? Yeah. I refused Fuck to that. watch it. Yeah. A lot of those movies had like one sequence that just out of nowhere would bring it real creepy. Like uh even like the <laughs> I present for the court the the brave little toaster. Yes. Oh, <laughs> what, the air what, conditioner. They, what right do they have? <laughs> it's my function. <laughs> that and like all the cars singing about how they're gonna get crushed how about how peter laurie the, the the peter laurie looking lamp singing <laughs> i'm gonna cry and oh my god terrifying the, terrifying terrifying and then they go to the moon in the second one much lighter the second one? <laughs> yeah, yeah brave little toaster goes to the moon the i only one. watched brave little toaster when i was uh 20 because we didn't have it growing up here and one of my friends who was obsessed with american stuff found it and we were like, oh, this seems cute. And it wasn't cute. And nope. I cried. <laughs> it's heavy. <laughs> I didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> but the It's Toy Story pre Toy Story. Yeah. yeah. Where they were like, what if what if toys what if like household objects could feel pain? And <laughs> <laughs> what if your favorite toy was lamp? No, do you know it the, is. the first one to do that was actually the Christmas toy? Oh no. The Christmas toy is also frightening. That's terrifying. I think that yeah. was the first concept of like toys being alive and being able to die um sounds so lovely it looks so lovely like oh this extra on the muppets dvd that's called a christmas toy it looks adorable (laughs) and i didn't know it was an extra i didn't know it was coming and then it came and i was shook why must you hurt me like this (laughs) yeah 
that was quite traumatizing. But like, even now, there's so many more. I don't know if there's more, but there's definitely a lot of uh, horror themed animation for kids now. Like it, it caught on with us, and then it just exploded. Yeah. Like Anna and I just discovered that um, four or five years ago uh, in England. There is a series called, uh, what is it, Scare Street? Scream Street. Scream Street. Um, stop motion animation. The figures are fantastic. Um, there's this like weird mix of overworld and underworld between people and monsters. Um, it's very lighthearted, 12-minute episodes, uh, but it's clearly geared toward a younger audience. Um, that's only four or five years ago. Yeah. I mean... It- we used to, as kids, pretty much everything spooky was done in stop motion, which is awesome. Um, we had a show... Because there's something unnerving about the not-so-fluid movement. <laughs> yeah, that's why we had a lot of puppet shows as well. Um, but there was a a show here called Trapdoor, which is like a complete cult classic here. Um, and they were just like these really minute little episodes um, done in claymation that were about this like little monster butler that worked for the thing that lived upstairs that was always demanding food and like every episode he would be like trying to fix food or do something for his master that lived upstairs that you never got to see holy um, shit <laughs> you got you like heard him um and oh, then there was worse. this trap door in the and basement and it's unintelligible non-english <laughs> did you say unintelligible non-english it's a Yorkshire yeah, accent. It's, like, it's no, but like <laughs> no, I'm not talking about the accent. It like they intentionally grumble and muffle the voice. Oh yeah, Anna, so can, can you like... understand what he's saying? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but <laughs> thanks, Anne. I, did, I didn't realize that you can understand. Um, anyway, no, I could understand it, but I'm saying like they un- they they make it. Oh, so they that make this it so you can't like picture it. Is. Yeah, yeah, it's more monstrous than the monsters oh, that we're okay. looking at coming but out of the trap door. that's not what unintelligible <laughs> means. Right, but like, you know, yeah. it's like muffled and like there's a distortion effect on it. But yeah, yeah we, trap door was just like this really spooky thing. Oh, in every episode there was this trap door down in the cellar where he worked that like the master was always like, don't open it. And then somehow it would always come open every episode and a different monster would come out. Um, but we also had things like... Uh, not stop motion animated, but we had some really good animated uh, shows as kids in the 90s. Uh, we had Count Darkula, um, which is about a vampire duck, but it's got like the most perfect <laughs> spooky scenery, and he lived in this really super cool haunted castle. Um, and we also had Transylvanian Pet Shop, which is about this like mad scientist that got kicked out of his job, and so he decides that he's going to create all of these like monster animals to sell as pets in his haunted castle so we had a lot of really cool animated spooky stuff here in england is that dr zitbags transylvania pet shop yes it is dr zitbags oh yeah. Wait, yeah now that i'm looking at this it it it's, seems familiar wow it's beautifully spooky i know that I, I love a lot of people in the u.s who are fans of count Dracula when they've seen it especially because i get asked all the time like oh, can you find me a Region 1 copy of Count Duckular? And I'm like, this show from the 80s that was only available in the UK? No, I can't find it on Region 1, funnily enough. (laughs) (laughs) Something about the look of Dr. Zitbag reminds me of Creepy Crawlies. And I loved those commercials as a kid. 
We were so blessed in the 90s. <laughs> we had Creepy Crawlies. We had the show. We had the Monster Maker. Well, that's when, like, because that's right after, like, horror started becoming huge in the mainstream. And they could capitalize that in any which way they could. We were, like, in the, the gross yuck out generation. Yeah. Where everything needed to be gross or spooky and garbage pale kids yes <laughs> mad balls we were just getting it boglins. From, from every direction boglin oh <laughs> wow there was also that show which i mean you, the, the, you in don't the 90s, have one within arm's reach oh. are you fucking i have a kidding? whole box of bog- boglins right down here you didn't even move <laughs> no. i feel like every time we record an episode where we're talking like... about something <laughs> i swear a so box of many boglins. You just like you reached off screen and you were like, "Here's two different Boglins I have just right here." <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ! Oh man! And all I brought to show and tell today was Flabber from Beetleborgs. <laughs> oh Christ! He came. <laughs> the Jay Leno ghost. He Beetleborgs. I thought I made that up. I because <laughs> it fully it feels like I a fever dream. Sense. It feels like a fever dream. Yes. It. It's. I remember being both terrified and fascinated by Beetleborgs because I it, I loved Power Rangers of course like lots of kids growing up in the 90s you watch Power Rangers and you're like hell yeah and then Beetleborgs is like oh it's just Power Rangers but with antlers and pincers or whatever the hell was on their helmets it's Power Rangers for spooky kids <laughs> and then that guy comes out and I'm like this is the scariest thing I've ever seen wasn't there a mummy in the house as well it was a mummy a werewolf uh, right? a werewolf a werewolf, um, a Frankenstein. They a had a, they had the whole gamut of monsters or phasms, as they were called. It's three typical average kids inside a haunted mansion. Three typical average kids with attitude. That's the <laughs> <laughs> that's the caveat. They always have to have attitude. But like, this was the epitome of just cashing in on the fact that Spooky became mainstream because Beetleborgs is a totally different show with this weird Americanism haunted house theme skinned on top of it. That was probably an element that we added when we took the sh- when we brought the show here. Yeah, or it or was, was Beetleborgs uh, I mean, I know Power Rangers was a Japanese show that then we just yeah. filled in you know with the American actors and then we left the action shots. Was that the same case with Beetleborgs or was Beetleborgs yeah, a completely it was American fighters? Okay. It, yeah, it's from two different shows that are from an entire series of uh, like metal heroes. So like people in like power armor, mm-hmm. and they just like, I guess because '90s and also bugs, <laughs> they they took those and they were like, you know what, we could do this one too. <laughs> and so it's, but it's also like very sitcommy. It's got like a lot of like Scooby Doo sort of like hijinks as well. And like that that's is Flabbers for yes, exactly. It's <laughs> that's very very American. Yeah. Um, but it's like it's that's super classic like '90s cheese. And now, but was the haunted house element of it part of the Japanese show, or that was the American? Not. Okay. All American. Okay. I don't. There's no Figures. correlation <laughs> between the two of them. There's a reason these three 11 year olds turn into grown adults when they transform. Yeah, good point. <laughs> but like, that's just like that's another influence of of classic horror cinema. That is the the Universal Monsters and also Flabbers there. And this werewolf <laughs> looks great too. I it's, love it's an awesome yeah. werewolf. 
Holy, What's I his name? don't it's remember that at all. Oh, I just texted it to you the other day as like a one-off bit. Wolfgang Smith. That's yeah. great. I'm yeah. changing my name. <laughs> John von Frankenstein is no more. I am Wolfgang Smith. <laughs> yeah, oh, Wolfie, he looks awesome. Speaking of hijinks, I love me some hijinks, Scooby-Doo hijinks specifically. And Scooby-Doo introduced me to one of my favorite horror movies before I even saw that horror movie, and that's The Blair Witch. The Scooby-Doo Project. Oh, right. Which yeah. premiered... The Scooby-Doo Project, which is a, a parody of the Blair Witch Project, premiered before Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, and they made a whole big hubbub about it when the movie was premiering. They were like, they were like mini trailers on Cartoon Network. Yeah, <laughs> tune in at seven thirty to check out the Scooby-Doo Project, and like, so you you run to your TV. It's Friday night. You run to your TV. You turn it on. You start watching it, and now you're just scared. You're really scared, but it's Scooby-Doo and the gang. In the setting of the Blair Witch. And if you I haven't seen it, just go on YouTube, check all. it out. It's the best. But it's also terrifying. Legitimately terrifying. Yeah, because, oh my god, some of these screenshots are, is like footage from the Blair Witch. Yes. It's real faithful. It's real good. It was a great promotion. Oh my god. Was that around the same time that Blair Witch came out? 99. Yes, yeah. it was okay. right after wow. the Blair Witch came out, and they were capitalizing on that and just making a, a little Scooby-Doo version of it, and it still scares me to this day. I got a question for you guys. Do you want to do a whole Scooby-Doo episode, or should I say yeah. some stuff about it right now? Whole Scooby-Doo episode. Okay. I can go on for song, especially the correlation between Scooby-Doo and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, this is the right. reason why I'm not talking about <laughs> Buffy much today, because I want to haul Yeah, okay. I just, I just wanted to make sure... Because it is, it is huge. Like it's, it's a juggernaut of social commentary mixing with horror. But that is what I will say. That is what makes it a, a great gateway, in in my opinion, is because as Scooby Doo as a series has evolved and it's been running since the '60s, it's always been a social commentary mixed with horror aspects and like a spooky ambiance, which makes in my opinion for good gateway horror because when the horror is real and then has not necessarily a happy ending but a concrete outcome where it's revealed that it was a person the whole time you get that levity at the end where like yeah if you were scared for it and anna i know you used to look at the credits and say like and have to do the work yourself like oh that's a person in that mask scooby-doo would do the work for you like a lot of those monsters are absolutely terrifying, and then it all just washes away once the mask comes off, and it's Mr. Jenkins. <laughs> and it's been doing that same sort of like realistic scenario in a spooky world with a spooky like sort of filter over it, and it's been doing it like well. For how long ago were the 60s? 200, 180 <laughs> years ago, <laughs> it feels like. 340 years ago. There is no iteration of Scooby-Doo that I don't like. Uh, I don't love Be Cool Scooby-Doo, but it still doesn't suck. It's still like there's the truth always carries through in Scooby-Doo. And that like really comes back to that idea of in gateway horror, truth is the ultimate consequence. It's growing. It's learning the truth about the world that you're in and not death. It's like 
in most gateway horrors, there'll be like disappearance or like somebody is like turned to stone or something. Uh, it's always something weird like that. It's mostly reversible, but uh, the consequence for having gone through that, for uncovering the mystery, is that you can no longer go back to being childlike and curious the way that you were before. Your worldview has changed. Yeah, you've grown That's why and I don't you've like learned. Velma. I like Velma. Like, no, it's like she's the only one out of them that doesn't believe for a second that it's a monster, and she's like, no, it's just a person. And it's like, no, let us believe for a minute, man. Well, there, there is one, <laughs> one instance, I'll just say this real quick, where she says, um, I think it's one of the earlier ones where they're in a, a haunted castle and they, they're chasing a ghost and he passes through a wall and Velma says, well, there's only one logical explanation about this. And Shaggy's like, well, I'd like to hear it. And she goes, this place is haunted. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Got her. <laughs> it's just amazing to see how far the concepts of the universal monsters have gotten us. I mean, they play such a role in Scooby-Doo. They play a role in just the foundations of horror and gateway horror moving forward. Um, you get things like Monster Squad where, you know, they're, they kind of play a similar role that they do in Beetleborgs. They're not necessarily the big bads, but there's something more there. Yeah, like the big, I suppose like, what is the big bad in Monster Squad? Because kind of, I mean, supposed to be the monsters technically, but then half the monsters kind of break away from each other. Like Frankenstein's good, but Dracula's bad. Yeah, Dracula's the big bad. Yeah, Dracula is the big bad. Well, the big thing with these gateway movies and shows is that they're, they're coming of age stories. It's kids learning and growing. And the big thing in, um, Monster Squad is their fear of being separated from each other, like in the Goonies, and uh, confronting these monsters and saving their little monster group is the big, like, truth reveal for them. Like, yeah, these things that we've been following are true. Now they're confronting that truth and trying to get other people to believe them in time to save their town. And then there's that reverse truth element where they're switching the monster sides. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of truths are revealed in that movie, like Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> Stephen King rules. I I do love that like the Goonies was huge and this like that's fantasy adventure and this is Goonies with a horror skin over it. Yes. Yeah. And I like don't get me wrong, I cherish the Goonies, but uh every time I will pick uh Monster Squad over the Goonies, I I fucking love this movie, and not not just because there's a really really good Gilman in it, but <laughs> there is a, good a Gil really Man. good yeah. Gilman in there. Yeah, Full. top tier. Yeah, I, the Dracula is the only one that I have an issue with in that film. <laughs> oh, and especially not... when I was younger, I was like, "That's not Dracula," and I was just adamant, yeah. like, "That's not Dracula. You can't do that." <laughs> is it because, <laughs> because he does blonde. not say blah blah blah? <laughs> Yeah, well, contractually, all of them do, right? Except for him. So, having been the first Dracula not to blah blah blah. Yeah, and he was blonde. I was like, that's an imposter. You know what is a crazy thing? What? That my favorite iteration of Dracula is Adam Sandler. I don't think that's that crazy. I think he does a good job. I want to believe that Dracula in real life would be like that goofy dad. So I feel like Hotel Transylvania really does a good job with that. 
Yeah, like you live long enough, like you do the the dark and brooding for so long, that's got to get old. And it's like, what if I do like the next century goofy? (laughs) (laughs) He's got time in his hands. Right. We all know how I feel about Adam Sandler. As much as everyone in the world wants to scream at me that I'm wrong, I think he's perfect. (laughs) I think post Hubie Halloween, that is incorrect. (sighs) Hubie Halloween was incredible. I'm jealous of Adam Sandler for a million reasons. He he figured it out, and he has been riding the Adam Sandler wave, and he'll he'll be rich, and his all his best friends will be rich until they die. That's just it. He just he was doing what he loved with his buds. It's inspired, and it just it panned out. Listen, you you can only listen to him say uh, "You like it, the juice" so many times, (laughs) but but it's but it's still good, but it's still good, still works. Hotel Transylvania really just did a great job with bringing Universal Monsters to that next generation. I mean, they got a... They're four movies deep now. Let's just say free and because they're... there's only three good ones. And it's not the third <laughs> one. The third one is the one that is not good. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> is that the but one where they reveal something... that the Invisible Man is not like as sexy as people thought he was? No, that's the fourth yeah. one. Oh, that's the fourth one. Okay, I've I haven't seen these, and I then I just saw butt. a bunch of the discourse on on uh, Twitter about like this is what he looks like. I was curious. Now was I want to go back funny. and watch it. <laughs> the the third one introduces the Van Helsings. Yeah, it's um, oh boy, <laughs> it's it's more of an adventure movie. The fourth one's also kind of more of an adventure movie than anything. Um, but they're good because they bring back that universal feel of like everything is atmosphere. Everything is it's the difference between comedic timing tension and horror tension. They go they go hand in hand and everything is like especially the first one. They do this like atmospheric reveal of the human town and how the humans are out to get them. And it's scary because right now we're emoting with the monsters and then they're all just paid zombies. <laughs> <laughs> the spinoff animated series is not great but i get it because you need to reach and grab that audience and keep them there and like it's just one more spooky thing that kids get to watch it just contradicts so much of the movies so does the third film sorry i'm still so mad about the third film you have no idea i was screaming at the tv when we saw the third one i was like you can't do that well while i've got you all here on this universal monster gateway kick Let me explain to you why I really brought you all here today. And if you looked at the outline in its early phases, all I wrote in things I wanted to talk about was Um. Monster High. (laughs) I thought that was a glitch. Nope. (laughs) Monster High is fantastic. (laughs) Because Monster High is, it takes the, the elements of Barbie, it takes the elements of horror, it takes the elements of like that teen, preteen kind of social commentary and it takes like the elements of like the fashion dolls like barbie and stuff it puts them all together it's totally a cash grab but <laughs> having watched all the movies and watched the uh spin-off all? animated series yeah all. <laughs> all right. Same. they so like not only are they modeled after the universal monsters it is fully in the same universe as the universal monsters it's literally their children all canon huh. it's children grandchildren um, Dracula of Universal Dracula, who makes nods to Universal's Dracula, is Draculaura's dad. Victor Frankenstein created Frankie Stein, which is why she's uh, the new girl. Part of her school, journey she's is she's literally just been made. Oh my, yeah. she's that's the so new cute. girl. Yeah. 
<laughs> every every season, every new movie uh, introduces new, more obscure Universal monsters, or like not even just Universal monsters. As it's grown and expanded, there are other creatures that now kids get to be like, oh, like who is this character supposed to be? Who are they related to? And they'll learn a little bit about these different horror creatures. And then they get to take that step into the horror world. Yeah, it really does a good job of mentioning every single universal monster there is. And they then expand on that, like you said, with like folklore or cryptids. And they've just created this huge universe of horror characters. Plus the dolls are beautiful. I would have I <laughs> died for these dolls as a kid, which is why I have them now. Because I'm collecting them <laughs> for my daughter just in case someone just eliminates Monster High. The first time I saw a Monster High doll, I think it's going like, to be around for a while. Yeah, which is great. But when they first came out and I first saw one, I was like, this is not going to last long. I need to grab these because my kids deserve this. They don't shy away from scary either. Like when you get to the different schools and stuff, and you know what I'm talking about more than anyone, but like Spectra comes from a different school, right? Yeah. The ghost school. Everything in the ghost school is like, okay, these are tortured souls. They're literally chained down by the rules. The headmistress is terrifying. There is a horror element to it. Like not only are the consequences, the truths and pitfalls of high school, like you actually have to navigate this, you know, new terrifying beast. I have a question. Yeah. Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School, was that a movie or was that a series? That was a movie. Yeah, that was I was Rich just going to bring that up because I thought just Monster Rich High. I thought they were the same thing. Shabby, shaggy. Why is that so <laughs> hard skirt, to say? Red, red shirt, shaggy. shirt shaggy. Red shirt shaggy. <laughs> it's just you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an English thing. But I, that's a just another instance of, you know, uh, monsters in like a school setting and just like designed for the younger audience and i even even monsters have trouble in school and that's okay (laughs) oh there's also sorry i just reminded me there's also a uk kids show that was in like 2006 called zombie hotel which is about these two little kids whose parents run a hotel and they're zombies um but they live in like the normal people's world and they have to basically pretend to be normal and they go to school and they have to like pretend not <laughs> yeah. to be zombies. It's really cute. Like I, I love that trope where it's just like, Hey, you know, uh, it like, it oddly humanizes the monsters and like just sort of like cuts the spooky a, a little bit. And it, it shows you that, you know, monsters can be fun Yeah, putting monsters in a school setting really takes that idea of using your differences as your strengths and not looking down on people for being different to a whole nother level. It makes the differences the key element and makes the whole point, like, be proud of what makes you you. Instead of watching a lot of shows where, you know, you get your normal characters, uh, you find out their differences as you go. You start off right at the bat with what makes each of these characters different what reasons they would potentially not click with each other, um, and yet they find their commonality throughout it. It's also, as far as more of the modern iterations go, like Monster High, um, not only is it, like, quirky personality differences, like, there's a lot more inclusion for people, um, you know, different ethnicities, um, different abilities... They're, they don't shy away from any of that. There's full inclusion in things like this because you get away with starting off with differences right off the bat. You're not trying to, like, make a normal 
I say normal in big air quotes, <laughs> TV show. I think they did a really good job with Monster High of making not only a spooky kids show, but also making spooky kids toys. Because I think, I know we mentioned Boglins earlier, but that's like such a big part of my childhood is spooky toys. Like, my 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 pet monster was literally like my best friend for such a long time. Aww. And I'm so sad that I don't have my, my pet monster anymore, especially as they are worth hundreds now. Um... <laughs> No, you would never sell him. Oh, no, never, but, like, I can't get one Rebuying back. one. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's my issue. Um, but, like, I had things like Monster in My Pocket. I literally have two sackfuls of Monster in My Pockets. I have so many of them. I easily have, like, over a thousand of them from when I was a kid. Because um, me and my brothers would just go out and grab them all the time. Oh, board games had Atmosphere, which I can't remember what it's yeah. called in the U.S. Atmosphere. I have a copy of it. Is Actually, it called I have two Atmosphere? Copies. I've heard some people call it like Nightmare or something like that. I have Atmosphere on the, it's the VHS yeah. board game. I have with that like, and I have a DVD copy. It's literally called The Gatekeeper. And, yes. <laughs> and he's like. The girl bosser. Just randomly <laughs> pops up and is like, what are you doing? Come here, maggot. Um, yeah, it, because there, there was that Western version of, like, the, the VHS games, and, you, like, this was, like, the horror version. I love that game, yeah. where you, like, would sit, and he would sort of, like, game master the game for you. Yeah, and it used to be really creepy, because obviously, like, you turned all the lights down, and then you just, like, lit up your board. You and... created the atmosphere. Yeah, <laughs> and then you just have these, like, dripping candles <laughs> on in, in the background with a timer. And then suddenly it would just be like a lightning strike and he'd be like, what are you doing? And you'd be like, no, in the middle of your go. And there was so (laughs) many different versions of it. I had all the extensions. So there was like a vampire one. There was a zombie one. There was a witch's one. There was the harbingers one. There was the skeletons underground where you basically just took the harbingers board, flipped it upside down and you're in the skeleton world. So good. Um, There is a Kickstarter for a new version of it there is currently yeah. active being developed in australia i think yeah uh unfortunately the, the, because it's in being made in australia it's the only reason i haven't backed it because as much as i would love a copy of that game shipping charges from australia is insane oh um, i thought you were gonna say you don't like australia no no <laughs> <laughs> no shipping costs from australia are absolutely I, yeah. insane um sorry to all of our australian listeners i know it's like it I'm sure they feel the same about getting stuff shipped from the US and the UK. um, That's the great thing about Monster High. They are so inclusive, they even have an Australian. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Laguna. (laughs) Gilman's daughter. Oh! Hang on, I'm looking this up right now. (laughs) You would love her. She's amazing. Laguna Blue? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. She's so cute. Yeah. She has a piranha in her purse. Yep. <laughs> and she's from the Great Scarier Reef. The- yeah. And she's all about saving Great the movie. environment and like the oceans and stuff. So they each have really good like moral lessons, each of the monster highs. Like even like Gulia, who is like a zombie, but she's like super intelligent, but she just can't she articulate brains. herself. Yeah, because she eats brains, she's really intelligent. But she can't articulate herself because she's a zombie. But, yeah, there's just so many cool characters in that show. 
There's also, they do a good job with cultural ties too. Like, you know, we, we talk about all the mummy content and how every mummy thing is the mummy. Uh, but Cleo, uh, is the mummy character in monster high. And her whole thing is, like, she's the, like, popular superficial girl. But when you look at it, the materialistic element of her character is because the uh, the culture of mummification in Egypt was take everything with you. So yeah, it's all just, like, what she has and... is her pride and joy. So I know that I could go on and on about Monster High and so many of these other properties forever because Gateway Horror is just so fascinating and it's become so abundant from the 90s to today um but that said we have all these streaming platforms that help curate these experiences and they have all of these like kids specific um categories but it's really hard to find some of this stuff on there it's not curated the way that it should be in fact netflix as like the main source that really does this uh their curation of their kids section is awful yeah. and like i, I kind of want to tie that back to the babadook incident where they accidentally put the babadook under uh lgbtq plus movies which not mad about love the babadook as a gay icon but also wasn't the intended purpose yeah but I mean, that was a thing that happened even just yesterday when i was checking netflix in the kids section to find if there was any other spooky stuff that I'd missed. They had dragged me to hell in the kids section. And I don't even mean under under kids movies. I mean, I was in a kids profile and it was on there. Oh, wow. Um, So they really don't pay attention. Um, I mean, it's it's (laughs) PG-13. Drag me to hell? Drag me to hell is an 18 here. Oh, Oh. my God. That's rough. (laughs) And they have it in the kids' profile. Like, kid, do not trust Netflix kids' section. Um, I mean, my brother did warn me about this because obviously my niece is on Netflix all the time and she has to ask every time that she watches anything. And she's, funnily enough, drawn to all the spooky stuff. Um, nothing Quote to do unquote, with funnily me. enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so she'll ask if she can watch something. And I'm like, no, you can't watch that. You're five. Um, so yeah, you really have to watch these kids sections as good as it is for there to be streaming platforms to provide a kids only section, really watch what is in there as a parent. Um, and just don't go based off other people's recommendations as well. When I was trying to find Except ours. Except ours. <laughs> um, that's because some of us are parents, and some of us are aunties, and some of us ran a kids' theater, and some of us are just really great with kids. And <laughs> some of us are a dozer. <laughs> I am what um, remains. <laughs> but when I was looking for more spooky kids' films, I kept seeing in loads of articles people were recommending this film called The Lady in White. And so I was like, cool, that would be another one to watch because I've never even heard of it. And everyone kept talking about it as a cult classic. So Anthony and I watched it yesterday. And at first it was like, cool, this is a really good kids like ghost story. And then it starts off and it feels like if Steven Spielberg 
uh, and Ray Bradbury had a baby. Yeah. It- Everything is that like beautifully scored, very aesthetic, uh, establishing shots of the town, getting to know the people in the town. It It is so wholesome. And it starts on Halloween. Yeah, it starts off like like something like The Halloween Tree, which is also an excellent kids' film. Very useful knowledge about actual horror in history. But um, it starts off so well, and there's certain moments where you go, oh, that's a little bit dark, but that's important. And there's some really inappropriate stuff that you're like, oh, that's really We're unnerving. We're getting dicey. Um, it takes place in the 60s and it does bring in a lot of very cultural and social commentary, uh, which starts off the like, okay, like, yes, it's important to show my kids this and talk about it. But then that automatically ticks the age range up because you have to have a conversation about how all those things played out. Um, you, so you're not looking at five or six anymore. You're looking at seven and eight. And then it kicks up another notch. Yeah. Like... Y- there was a there was a moment where I was like, would we let our kids watch this? And we were like, no, because that's really important socially that they do learn that back in those days, this was how it was, especially for black people. That is the main sort of topic that comes up partway through. And then it just takes a real dark turn. Um, and just straight away, we were like, nope, we'd not show this to a kid. Um, there is no explaining this. Um and it just gets it, darker it does darker, more telling darker. than showing it does it does um, it in a really well done way it's not graphic it's oh not... i compared it to it's like if the lovely bones had tacked oh mm. yeah i haven't seen oh lovely bones but from what you described it's pretty much that um but with without the graphics or like real sort of well, both of them suffer from bad cg so there's that but this had an excuse that was from the 80s <laughs> Yeah, Lovely Bones did not have an excuse, especially for its budget. <laughs> they but, spent it on Stanley Tucci. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's so inappropriate for kids. I don't, like, coming from the girl that watched The Exorcist it's not that it's at 8 years old, I wouldn't let my kids watch The Lady in White. It's not completely inappropriate. It's not but that it's, it's inappropriate. Not, it's that. It's kind of traumatizing, right? Yeah, like really you have to be prepared to have some very deep and adult conversations with your kids if you're going to watch it. Yeah. It's a PG-13, but there's no strong language. There's no, there's a little bit of violence. There is strong um, language, though, because they use the N-word. Yeah, oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot that that yeah, happened. and that was the first instance where I went, oh, okay, I would have to explain to my kids a whole lot right there. I would have to pause it and literally just talk to them. Because hopefully yeah. they won't have ever heard that word, and hopefully never will after that movie <laughs> ever again. Um, so yeah. Yes, I guess the strong language, violence, uh, some suggestive material, um, shouldn't be listed as a kids' movie, but like it, it really lures you in with that. Steven Spielberg meets Ray Bradbury like this is a wholesome I mean the whole point is stranger danger so the wholesome and fun town is just this great pull away really it is a fantastic movie though I don't want to like say like oh don't go and watch it just don't maybe don't watch it with your kids or just like watch it first if you're thinking of showing it to your kids but I do think it is such a beautifully done and important movie just maybe not for kids I would think whenever you're you're curating a list of kids movies 
in my head, if that's what I'm searching, I'm I'm talking five to six, five to seven year old. You know, not something where yeah. you're going, oh, okay, now it's it's you know a, a teen or a preteen. You know, where we've had maybe some of those conversations before, and we've had they understand kind of how things might have been back then, but now suddenly you've got to have like, all right, pause it, hold on, yeah, <laughs> like, let's have a talk. You know, it, it like you said, it's not to steer people away from it, but just to be aware that, hey, maybe a bunch of these lists are just other people searching lists and then writing an article and pulling movies off of that without fielding them first. Screen rants. <coughs> Jesus. <laughs> screen rants is all over the place. Like, but anyone can write screen rants. Sorry. Like, oh, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I take it back. <laughs> No, that, that's the problem with it. It's important to have some of the gateway horror feel a little adult without being inappropriate. And I think that we're all really lucky that we grew up at a point in time where if you were in the library or in school in the Scholastics Book Fair, you'd see something like scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. And that was... Or in a dark, dark room. <laughs> and that was something to that made you feel like you were reading an age group up it felt very adult when you're reading it because it was actually you know pretty scary especially the covers and especially the illustrations which are so iconic and they did a fantastic job translating into film oh i just i mean they're jumping off of the page that one illustration from the haunted house literally got co-opted to be the the big toe uh (laughs) the woman from the big toe and it but it looks i mean of course it looks great. It's Del Toro. <laughs> like, you know, he's he's putting that care uh, uh, and his if he's putting his name on it as like, hey, this is something that I'm pushing out there and helping to promote. You best believe he's going to want to make sure it's up to snuff. And Andre Overdahl did a great job with that. You guys are so lucky you got scary stories when you were kids because I'd never even heard of it. And a lot of people in the UK had never heard of it because we didn't get the books, apparently. So when I was out by you guys it happened to be playing at theaters at the same time so i quickly read the first book before we went and yeah it's scary how accurate it was and those illustrations are beautiful but as a kid even though i would have been like oh okay i don't want to open this book (laughs) so the whole me being afraid of everything uh if you look at the cover of scary stories to tell in the dark and you put that side by side with in a dark dark room I went for in a dark, dark room uh, because it's more colorful and it's it looks more kid friendly. And then I read the green ribbon, which is in a dark, dark room. And that was it for me. <laughs> is that the first iteration of that? That's like an old story, though. The first time I ever read it was in a dark, dark room. Interesting. And then I was like, I stayed away from scary stories to tell in the dark for a while. I wasn't <laughs> ready. It's funny that we all got the Scholastic book fairs, though. But I used to, I remember my first copy of Funny Bones came from there, and that was like my cute, adorable little segue book, and that's what I've given to both my nieces as well. Yeah, did, I don't know if you guys got Funny Bones, the one about like the cute little skeletons that live with their dog in a dark, dark room in a dark, dark house, um, down the dark, dark stairs in the dark, dark house. I realize <laughs> we didn't get it. But I got my first copy when I was out by you. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, no, I remember that. Because I remember being like, oh, yeah, every kid had this funny books bone when I was a kid. 
The Funny Books Bone. Funny Books Bone. (laughs) I can't talk today. Funny Bones book. Um, (laughs) But I also used to get all of my goosebumps from the Scholastic Fair as well. Um, I have way too many goosebumps, but only the ones with the old covers. And, like, some of them would have, like, textured covers. And if it was, like, a slimy book, then it would have, like, a little packet of slime on the front that you could, like, squish. I will say, with the level of care that filmmakers go through to make gateway horror as far as props, sets, character design, costumes, specifically things like night books, I know that we have a habit of giving Eli Roth a lot of shit on here, and I don't think that he's, like, a great horror filmmaker. But we watched The House with the Clock in Its Walls, and when Eli Roth cares, it it plays out. Yeah, Eli Roth like, should just House do the... kids' movies. <laughs> House of the Clock and Its Walls is great gateway horror, has really smart writing and characters, everything about it is beautiful, and it feels like, probably because of Jack Black and Jack Black's performance, um, it feels like it should be the prequel to the new Goosebumps movies. And the character that Jack Black plays is amazing. Like, he's just... At first I was like, oh, he's just playing R.L. Stein again. Um, no. But then he's He just... starts off that way until there's the reveal. Yeah. But his his character has so much depth, and everything about that movie is really well done. And you know it must be Everybody good if I'm saying an Eli backstory. Roth film is good, which <laughs> takes a lot for me to do, because I, I make it no secret that I just don't like Eli Roth's work don't particularly like him as a person because of allegations and stuff he should just stick to doing kids horror because it worked everything about it worked i mean there are a million different properties all over the world that you can you know use as your gateway into horror and start showing your kids at an early age whether it's toys books games movies but ultimately gateway horror is a great bonding experience for parents with their kids and a great way for kids to explore their curiosities about the world and not just have everything sugar-coated for them it's it's the main reason why i appreciate gateway horror uh, almost over horror in general because there is that level of care and love and attention that exists in gateway horror that we kind of tend to lose as we lean more toward like you were saying john the gore and the slashers and the monsters yeah it's true when you when you i don't want to say limit yourself but when you put yourself within the guidelines of this has to be appropriate for a younger audience there is a challenge that a lot of directors will rise up to and to scare them succeed. without scarring them exactly yeah even though we got scarred <laughs> <laughs> we got scarred for different reasons so do you guys want your fear of the day yes please. oh yeah uh so your fear of the day is ephibophobia the fear of beetles no the fear of borgs <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> is it the fear of growing up no no is it the fear and loathing in Las Vegas? Uh, oddly enough, it is not. Can you use um, it in a sentence? Yeah, could you? No, I'll just give you guys this. So darken your clothes and strike a violent pose. Maybe they'll leave you alone, but not me. So it's scared of things that are in the dark? Nope. John, if Michelle were here, she would help me. 
Is that MC All lyrics? It sure is. <sighs> the fear of teenagers? They're all cool. It is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Teenagers. Yeah, I would scared. need <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't have my emo card. Michelle would have had to help me with that, but I got it. <laughs> yeah, they hit my chemical romance song, Aphibophobia. <laughs> That's the realization that Michelle and I came to where we were like Having a newborn is fine. What's going to be scary is when they're a teenager. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> if I could go back in time and kick the shit out of teenage me, I absolutely would. Oh, 100%. Y'all got some recommendations? Hell yeah. Who's first? We drawing straws? I'll start us off. Um, I really highly doubt that I've ever recommended this before because uh, I can't think of any other reason why I would have. But there is a series, I think it's on Amazon, it's called City of Ghosts. Um, So cute. It's a kid's series. And uh, essentially, it's this group of, like, uh, preschool, elementary school, young ghost hunters who are starting their own, like, mini documentary series. And they go to meet these people, and they meet a ghost in every episode, And they talk about the ghost's life. So the whole thing is like, yeah, there's a little bit of a haunting. It's never scary. uh, But you learn why the ghosts are sticking around. You learn people's life stories. You learn about different professions. You learn about different um, cultures. Um, You learn about just regular everyday people and the things that they find were worth living. It's super cute. The animation is really cute, too. Oh, it's animated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a different City of Ghosts, which, again, Netflix is programming. Awful. Uh, look out for the one that's not the animated City of Ghosts. Oh, yeah. One of these looks a lot more intense than the other one. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> two doofa. real different City of Ghosts. <laughs> it's the uh, one with the cute sheet ghosts. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, my recommendation is not as cute. It's for uh, a little bit older of an audience. Like uh, I'm thinking like teen horror. Um, but I recently watched The Wretched on hulu and here's a quick fun fact about it it was the uh because of covid19 it was the first film since 2009's avatar to top the box office for six consecutive weeks oh wow because it was the only movie out (laughs) i didn't even hear about it till you mentioned it uh yeah uh, because nobody nobody knows about it but it's got like uh a sort of like teen feel but uh it is like a folk horror movie with uh i think a teenage audience in mind and uh it's like summer break on like an island and it's a bunch of kids like uh, that are working at a summer camp and uh there are people that live on this island year round and there is evidence that a witch is living amongst them and it is much more intense than it seems uh, so it's absolutely not for kids, but I thought it was a fantastic one folk horror movie. And it's a great movie for people that are like on the cusp of horror. So it's like, it's not too intense. It's not gory. It's not over the top in any way, but I think it's a really good litmus test to see if you would like to push yourself a little bit more. Uh, this is a good place to start. That's the wretched from I think 2019. So my recommendation is we were mentioning before how the best horror always has elements of social commentary a la Scooby-Doo. 
And this movie is like they are telegraphing that throughout the whole thing, but it's a really fun time. It's a great movie. Vampires versus the Bronx. Yeah. Was so much fun because they go into the discussion of gentrification by use of vampires <laughs> invading the Bronx. <laughs> Not to spoil it for anybody, but it's it it felt <laughs> It felt like they were, of course, we have the whole resurgence of kind of the teen gateway horror, sort of like the Monster Squad and sort of like the Goonies because of Stranger Things. Vampires uh, vs. the Bronx feels very much like a sequel to Lost Boys. Yes, yes. Ignoring it the has, fact that Lost Boys has sequels. <laughs> it has that same feel and it has that same love for the lore as well as wanting to kind of promoting the social commentary and putting it out there in a really fun way that's digestible for kids. Uh, also, the one character wears a ghost t-shirt and I loved him so much. He was great. He's so funny. <laughs> he was the best. <laughs> Not just for the t-shirt, just because he was a great character. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's filled with a bunch of great characters. The actors are awesome in it. And I just think that they did a really cool job of being able to bridge that. And again, you're exposing a younger audience to some deeper issues um, while making it really fun and making it really spooky. That was actually going to be my recommendation, but I had a feeling that you were going to mention it. Damn. So I had a backup, <laughs> so it's all good. Okay. Um, I don't know if I've actually spoken about this on the podcast or not, but um, my recommendation is actually a book or a series of books uh, called The Jumbies uh, by Tracy <laughs> Baptiste. Um, so good. so good. It's just drenched in this Caribbean folklore about these sort of like I guess like monsters or spirits that like live in the wilderness of the Caribbean and they were originally um like historically the first inhabitants yeah they were like the first inhabitants and um they were used as like the stories of the jumbies were apparently used a lot in Caribbean culture to like warn kids to stay out of like the woods and unknown places to just try and like scare them. Um, but Tracy Baptiste basically made them into these amazing kids books. Um, and it's, it's just got so much really amazing folklore as well as really strong, powerful characters. Um, like the main character is like such a good, like badass female kid that I think is really important to be putting into kids' books. Um, and Everything she does is about her independence from start to finish. 100%. And that's one part culturally and another part um, just who her character is constantly rising to the occasion. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much, just how much is in this, this series of books. It's just so well written. And it was actually recommended to us by our friend Derek's daughter Paige. Um, she did, we thought she'd made them up. She just started talking about the different jumbies and where they live and what they look like, and we were like, "Wow!" Like, because <laughs> she's just really getting into spooky stuff at the moment, and this is really that's her, her gateway, and that's her gateway. Um, and so and she, it sparked her um, artistic passion for drawing yeah, the jumbies too. She started drawing them because there wasn't clear illustrations of all of the jumbies in the books just clear descriptions so she started drawing them 
and then she was just starting to tell us about them because she knew we liked spooky stuff so we bought a copy each just so that we could read it um now we're on the sequel now we're on the sequel (laughs) um but i would definitely recommend that if you have kids i would say age range wise it's probably i would say like seven or eight upwards maybe yeah it's a 12 13 okay man uh, even i need like a studios to get on board so tag them mention it to them read it send them all the wants and desires to have like a studios make this series into i don't know a movie or a series i don't care yeah, tag henry, um, Selleck. henry Selleck would be the perfect director for this he does all of the spooky stop motion the characters are just so descriptive they're kind of horrifying to think about like one of the jumbies or one of the the i guess subclasses of jumbies is these uh little old men that pose as children but they have backwards feet uh, and if they know your name, they can lure you into the woods forever, and then you become one. That, that also works on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a real big, like Central American uh, folklore. The little boy with the backwards feet, Cipatillo. Oh, yeah, he hides in the trees, and he has backwards feet, and he chases you and tries to steal your soul. Wow! And it's it's to keep us from going outside after bedtime. <laughs> We just have fairies in Spring Hill Jack. Which is actually oh, pretty Spring Hill cool. Jack so jumping over walls and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to make out that England has no culture or law, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And I'm John. Happy hauntings. See you in hell. Mm-hmm.